are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Thursday show for you. We're going to talk a little conference realignment in college football. We are halfway through the baseball season, not games-wise, but we're at the halfway point because we just had the All-Star game two days ago. And I'm going to go over those numbers on how much time is being saved by the pitch clock being implemented this season. The ESPYs were on last night. And Hard Knocks has made its decision on which NFL team they will feature in the HBO upcoming series that starts next month. We'll get to all that momentarily. All right, let's begin. I want to talk a little college football, and I want to talk a little conference realignment because the Big 12 had their media day. And over the last couple days, the Big 12 has had their media day. And as we know, this is the last year that Texas and Oklahoma are in the Big 12. They're moving to the SEC in 2024. But the Big 12, knowing those two were leaving, brought in four new teams, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and Central Florida. So for 2023, the Big 12 is going to have 16 teams. Next year, it goes back down to 12. Or excuse me, uh, it's going to go to 14, right? Yeah, because they're losing two. But that doesn't mean they're not going to get close to, I'm sorry, the Big 12. I'm getting confused by the name because it's so stupid. They call themselves the Big 12 and they had 10 teams. So with Oklahoma and Texas, before this upcoming season, they had 10 teams in the Big 12. They added four, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston. So they have 14 teams this season. Next year, they'll have 12 in the Big 12, and it'll make sense. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're staying at because it looks like most of the big conference is going to go to a 16-team conference. And it also looks like the four that are most likely to end up in the Big 12 are Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State. Those are the running rumors that's going to happen because we all know the Pac-12 is going to disband. Nobody, They have no TV deal right now. I don't think any TV deal is going to keep all those teams there. There's so much more money to be made going to the Big Ten and going to the Big 12 or even going to the SEC, although I don't think the SEC's taken any of the remaining Big 12, uh, Pac-12 teams. No way. It looks like you're going to have like Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten, the four that I just mentioned, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, probably going to the Big 12 at some point, some variation of that. It, conference realignment is a thing. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of once the dust settles, who is where? And what are they calling themselves? Still going to have the same conference names, I would think. But who's going where is going to be the big thing. Now, one thing that came up at Big 12 Conference Media Day is the fact that Mike Gundy, head coach at Oklahoma State, said, hey, Bedlam's done. After Oklahoma leaves next year, our schedule is planned out until 2037. And Bedlam, the game played between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, is the third longest running rivalry in all of college football. And it is done after this year. I know that doesn't sit well with probably a lot of people in the Oklahoma region. And I'm sure Cowboy fans, Cowboy alums, you're pissed that you don't get to play Oklahoma, even though they've basically owned you ever since Mike Gundy has been the coach. And Oklahoma, I'm sure you don't care because you've been beating up on Oklahoma State for the last 18 years. So... But I know the rivalry, you know, if you're an alum of that school, the rivalry just means a lot. Going to the game, whether it's in Norman 
or whether it's in still water. Just going to the game, feeling that energy is a big deal for a lot of people. And I know it's probably hard to see the forest through the trees right now when I say this, but I'm telling you, college football needs to become more of a national sport. It's got to get out of this regional shit. Not that the regional shit, and I call it shit, but I'm not saying it shit. I'm just using that word. College football has been too regional. It's great when we get matchups when Oregon travels to Florida and plays a game because you just don't see it. The only time you see it is in bowl games. And then sometimes, you know, everyone will schedule at least one good non-conference team. I just think that those days are slowly but surely coming to an end. I think when you get out of this regional aspect of college football, it's a reason why people, I mean, since I moved to Texas in 2006, I've learned a lot about the mentality and how people think out here about college football. It's just all about, you know, the old, the old big eight and, you know, Nebraska and Colorado days when they were, you know, when they were playing in this conference, I'm telling you, it's so much better. And and I just feel like the people out here don't understand They'll never give respect to somebody out in the Pac-12 because they don't watch their games. And, you know, the Big Ten, they, you know, do Big 12 people really know a lot about Big Ten football and vice versa? Maybe you know more a little bit about the SEC because their games are usually in prime time and SEC has dominated college football for the most part for the last 15 to 20 years. A lot of the, most of the national champions have come from that conference. That's just fact. But, I just think it makes the sport so much better. However, we've had literally 100 years of college football being such a regional sport. And it might take some time, but I think once they go to more of a global and national sport where you're seeing, I mean, you're going to see it a little bit when the USC and UCLA move to the Big Ten, the fact that, you know, you're going to have Ohio State and USC in the regular season. You're going to have... Penn State, UCLA in the regular season. You're going to have Michigan, USC in the regular season. I mean, that's good. That's good for college football. The only time those teams would ever see each other would be in the Rose Bowl, and it had to line up perfectly for that to happen. So more good matchups, the better. And I'm not talking about the good matchups within conference because we're getting those every year anyway. When I look at week one of the college football season, there are some really good non-conference matchups in that first week. Florida's at Utah. Virginia's at Tennessee. Colorado at TCU. It's the debut of Deion Sanders. As you heard me talking about with Jordan Rodgers, I don't know if this Colorado team is going 2-10 and 10 or 8-4. and four. Anywhere in between, it wouldn't surprise me. We just have no idea what to expect because we've never seen a college football team that turned over 72 players. 72 players that were on Colorado last year are not on the team this year. They literally have 10 guys on their team currently that were on the team last year, yet they brought in the most three-star recruits of any team in the nation. Uh, Ohio State, Ohio State, Indiana, Boise State, Washington, Nevada, USC, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, Penn State. Some good games. Coastal Carolina, UCLA, LSU, Florida State, Clemson, Duke. Duke was 9-4 last year. Clemson's on the road. Like, Now, granted, that's a conference game, Clemson-Duke, but I'm just saying those non-conference matchups that we get on that first 
Saturday um, in week one. I mean, those are those are what people like because we're used to. We already know what we're getting in conference play, you know. So you do have some good non-conference games. Utah State, Iowa. I'm just looking at the other schedule here. Purdue, Fresno State. Fresno State's going to be good this year. They're at Purdue. They absolutely could go into Purdue and win that game. So I'm just saying, it's so much better when we have matchups that we don't normally see in college football. And the only time we get that is bowl games or the three non-conference games. And only a few schools every year try to play one really good game. Bama's one of them. LSU in recent years has been one of them. Florida State's been one of them. That were like, okay, we're scheduling up. We're gonna set. We're gonna schedule one dog, and and by dog I mean a good one because dog can mean a negative thing in college football. But we're gonna schedule one. How about just saying top dog, and we want to play a ranked team in the non-conference because it helps our resume. I think when we moved to different conferences and all these conferences finally set what their conference schedule is going to be and who is in their conference we're going to get so many more good matchups and non-conference matchups are going to be even better trust me on this it's going to take a while i know just trust me all right little baseball talk for you we are at the all-star break it's not the halfway point of the season because some teams have played 90 games somewhere around anywhere between 89 and 91 games so there's about 69 to 71 games left in the regular season for most teams, which is a little less than half. So where are we at with the pitch clock? The numbers are out. Last year, Major League Baseball games averaged three hours and three minutes. This year, through half the season, two hours and 38 minutes. They have knocked off 25 minutes of the games, which is pretty much exactly what they expected exactly what they expected because when they implemented this in the minor leagues that's exactly what they knocked off I think it was 27 minutes in the minor leagues might have been 28 but we pretty much knew this was coming it's impossible to put in a pitch clock and not have it knock off a good amount of time because now if you ever go back and look at a game before this year you realize how much wasted time was out there on the mound usually being done Mostly by the pitchers, but obviously hitters sometimes too, constantly stepping out of the box. But most of the time, it was the pitchers taking their sweet old time, shaking off signs, stepping off, throwing to first base. It was inevitable that you were going to knock off time. But 25 minutes, that's great. It's the longest, these are the shortest the games have been since the early 1980s. And yet still, baseball is a slow-moving sport, and there's still a hell of a lot of downtime. And frankly, it's boring. It's always going to be boring just because of the nature of what the sport is. It's never going to be football, and it's never going to be basketball. So why was it the national pastime for all those years growing up, and now it is so far behind the NBA and the NFL in terms of popularity? I think that just goes to show where we are as a society, which is instant gratification. Nobody wants to spend a long time doing anything we need everything in shorts, quick sound bites, and and that's what NFL and NBA can give us. We need action. We just can't have this monotonous game where oh, pitcher throws the ball, gets it back, steps on the rubber, looks in for the sign, throws another pitch, swung on and missed, gets the ball back, throws another pitch, foul ball. Like you just you can't do it unless you completely change the game of baseball 
and you have like, I don't know, fans running around the field during the game and, you know, just, it just can't, it's never going to go back. It's never going to ever overtake NFL and NBA again. It's not going to happen. But at least they're trying. And to see that they've knocked 25 minutes off the games this year, that's great. I've watched games. I watch Ranger games. I watch a little less out of time out of town games than I have in the past. Probably because I'm not uh, really betting a lot of baseball this year. That was the only reason I really watched out of town games. Um, but I've watched Ranger games this year, and because I'm not watching a lot of out of town games, when I was watching the All Star game this year, and they're introducing the teams, and even watching the game, I'm like, "Gosh, who are these guys?" I mean, there's some guys on some good teams that I'm like, who? And look, and maybe it's just because I'm checking box scores and really only checking my fantasy team to see what they're doing every day. I mean, I'm looking at box scores every day, but I'm only looking at my guys. You know, I saw this this middle reliever for the Baltimore Orioles, who are a really good team this year in the American League East. They're second uh, behind the, the Rays in the AL East, and they've got a middle reliever, Yenier Cano. I, I can honestly tell you, until I watched the All-Star game on Tuesday, I had never even heard or seen that name this year. And, you know, I'm a pretty big sports observer. I was like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen a guy named Yenier Cano, and I had no idea he was an All-Star. Had to go look up his stats, still kind of shaking my head as to why he's an All-Star. I mean, he's a good pitcher. His stats are good, but he's a middle reliever. Why did he make the team? I don't know. But uh, there were some other guys that I'm just like, I'm sorry. I don't know. Shit, the guy who won the MVP, the guy who hit the home run for the Colorado Rockies, Elias Diaz, I can't really say that his name rang a bell. So, uh, but you put an NBA All-Star game on? Now, granted, it's way less players. I get it. It's only 12 players a team, but. You put an NBA All-Star game on, I know every single player on that floor, and I could probably tell you what some of their best moves are. NFL, Pro Bowl, outside of linemen, I know every skill player. I know every good running back in the NFL, every good receiver, every good quarterback. I just can't say that about Major League Baseball. But the point was they've knocked 25 minutes off the games. I think it's helped. I have noticed when I'm watching how much quicker the game moves. And I have sometimes on Instagram or even on YouTube gone back to watch clips of old baseball games before this year, and it is definite. It is so different to watch it because you're just like, now you're used to a pitcher getting the ball and throwing it pretty quickly. Back then, even last year, go watch a game from last year. You're just like, oh, my God. Hurry up, would you? (laughs) Throw the ball. So, yeah, Uh, the ESPYs were on last night, and I'm not a fan of the ESPYs. I don't really care for them because it's not an award show where the awards really mean anything. It's basically just a a once-a-year party that ESPN can throw to themselves to pat themselves on the back. It's really all it is. Just get a bunch of good athletes in one red carpet event, and just it's almost like just a celebration of sports. It's not like, ooh, who won the best 
Male Athlete of the Year award. It's like, okay, usually they're taking it from the best player on the best team that won the title in either Major League Baseball, Basketball, or Football. Like, that's it's all they're doing, you know? Patrick Mahomes won it. Wow, shocker, you know? But I did not watch it other than I turned it on about 10 minutes in and I watched five minutes of Pat McAfee's monologue. I didn't know if he was trying to be funny or if it was supposed to be funny because, like, he was trying to get some one-liners out there. I just thought, I, I mean, I've I've heard way better. And and McAfee is is funny. And his whole shtick is just being real and honest and, you know, never holding back. And I thought that monologue, for the five minutes that I saw it, I was like, either he decided to not have anybody write his monologue for him or he just had some bad writers because I didn't think it was remotely funny at all. And that's the one thing that I would look forward to at the ESPYs every year is who's hosting. And I love a good 10 to 15 minute monologue where they roast the athletes. I think it's funny. I mean, if you want to Google something that could never get away, that could never happen today, Google when Norm MacDonald hosted the ESPYs and his monologue. (laughs) That was some of the most scathing jokes you'll ever see with athletes in attendance and now norm mcdonald as we know has passed so rest in peace norm but his humor and those athletes i mean he had people cringing in the audience for the things that he was saying but that's a good roaster that's a good joke teller is when you when you get to that line do you cross it are you right there on the line and norm was right there on the line on a lot of his jokes even when Peyton Manning hosted, got some good digs in it. Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, as it was right around the time Durant left to go to the Warriors, had some good, you know, leaving, you know, going to join the enemy jokes. I mean, it was, I, I like seeing that. And McAfee just bombed last night. I think it was funny at all. It was almost like he was kissing up too much to the athletes, which I thought he didn't do. And he loves calling people out. He called Skip Bayless out. That was great because Skip Bayless is the biggest horse's ass in sports media. But other than that, Not really impressed with what he did. And finally, it was announced yesterday that Hard Knocks will be covering the New York Jets. And, you know, Hard Knocks covers one NFL team during training camp. And, shit, training camp starts one week from today, rookies report for most teams. The 18th is when most teams' rookies report. And then... Veterans report, I think, five days after. Most most veterans are going to be in camp by the 22nd or 23rd. So they were only a week away. Usually this is announced in, like, May. And for whatever reason, Hard Knocks was having a really hard time finding a team to participate this year because you can't be – there are restrictions where you don't have to do it or you're not eligible to do it if you have a brand-new coach or you've made the playoffs in the last two years. So there were only four teams that fit the criteria that it could have been. It was the Jets, the Browns, somebody else, and the Commanders. And as of a couple weeks ago, there was rumors going around that nobody of those four teams wanted to do it. They just think it's too much of a distraction in training camp. They want to get shit done. But we don't know. We don't know if the NFL just forced it upon the Jets. We don't know how the Jets are going to respond to this, but... 
they're the ones under the microscope, and they're a good young team. They won seven games last year. They went out and got Aaron Rodgers in the offseason, so people are going to tune into this. The Jets are a media team. They're in the number one media market, and they just brought in Aaron Rodgers. So, of course, this will be interesting. Hard Knocks is great every year, but this year, kind of weird that a week before filming starts is when they made the announcement, when this shit is usually announced in May. So, I don't know. Will the Jets give them a hard time? Will the Jets kind of... There's rumors that head coach Robert Sala was like, we don't want to do this. So I don't know if this was forced upon the Jets or what, or Robert Sala did a 180 and was like, okay, let's do it. But it'll be interesting to watch the actual episodes to see, yeah, you can tell the Jets are really not into this. (laughs) Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow in Apple Podcasts, rate and review as well. That helps a lot. Anything you can do to help the podcast, tell your friends about it, tell your mistresses, tell your third grade best friend, whatever. Let them know. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!